There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of our outdoor pursuits. Welcome back to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast. Today we have a special guest on. I met him, I think it was about three years ago through BHA and started talking mainly uh, spring bear and then elk and then Montana and found out we had a lot in common and had some good chats ever since and he's helped me out with a lot of stuff and he's been a great resource so we thought we'd share him with the world. So this is Ross Niebuhr. Hey everybody. So we usually start out the podcast asking whoever our guest is to just kind of run through like their kind of their background on the outdoors, like what got you started in it, like where'd you start, what were you doing, and kind of what where you went from there. I grew up in a house that was big into the outdoors. Uh, my dad was big into the outdoors. First things I remember seeing was moose, mountain goat, things like that up oh, on the yeah. wall in the house. <laughs> and, uh, First thing? Yeah. Jeez. That's unusual. <laughs> before I was born, he was smart. Before he had kids, he got out and did all that great stuff. So... Yeah, just it was just part of every day. Um, yeah, really got into archery, whitetails. You know, as most Minnesota boys do, that get into hunting and yeah. uh, shot archery competitively in my teenage years. Um, awesome. And uh, ended up going to UMD up in Duluth. Yeah, started getting into bird hunting up there. Uh, yeah. Mostly because of the logistics of dragging a deer into the dorms was was a little challenging. So we got into hunting grouse and and nice. that sort of thing. And uh, after school, got back to kind of my roots. And then uh, about the mid two thousands, I got a wild hair and just decided I'm going to try elk hunting. And I didn't know anybody who elk hunted, but just talked a couple of buddies into going yep. and uh, threw a dart at the map in Colorado. And uh, started doing over-the-counter archery elk. And since then, I've hunted, you know, quite a few states out west for everything from elk, bear, mountain lion, uh, all that good stuff. And Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you've done a lot of really cool stuff and been involved on a lot of other really cool hunts as well. You've got yeah. to go on some really cool things over the years. Um, yeah, and Joe's been adamant about having you on. And just he's like, dude, we got to get Ross on. If Ross will come and do it, we got to get him on. Yeah. And and after hearing him kind of being the liaison, telling Chad and I what you've had going on, we're like, yeah, man, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's really awesome. I've been yeah. Pretty lucky, you know, over the course of a, a hand, you know, probably a, a decade now of hunting out west to, you know, kind of build a network, both of guys from Minnesota. I've got some good hunting partners that come out with me, but I've also started to get to know some guys out west in Wyoming, Montana that are, um, have really expanded my you know horizons on things and yeah my increased my learning curve pretty dramatically because I've started getting a chance to talk every day and go hunting with guys that are have grown up in that yeah that yeah that's, hunting, so. yeah it's something I, I've talked about so many times is just making friends with the locals is the best thing you can possibly do if you want to be successful oh, yeah, west. Like, for sure. yeah. Just, it's 
goes beyond anything you could do at home. Well, and Ross, you're kind of the, you know, with Contact Outdoors here for us, you're kind of the quintessential figure in what we aim to exemplify with Midwestern. This kind of started with the idea of Midwestern guys trying to do their best to learn about heading out west and and that kind of adventure hunting and try to bring a perspective to that. So it's good to have you on with us and share your experience because you're far, you're a lot further along in that journey than we are. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. I think it's, you know, the biggest thing for, for guys, especially a Midwestern guy who's going to go out and you're going to, you're going to fail a lot more times than you're successful. (laughs) At least (laughs) least when you start, I I think the first three trips I took out elk hunting, I I saw a couple elk, (laughs) heard elk, saw a sign, but, uh, and largely, I was just hiking around in the mountains with a bow, yeah, yeah, and, and kind of aimless, looking around, yeah. <laughs> but I think the the fact that I just enjoy the process and I enjoy being out there and I enjoy the learning aspect of it, and yeah. I I think I reap a lot of the value or like the a lot of the goodness out of it is the is the process and sure, and yep. yeah, all the effort it takes to learn. Awesome, yeah. awesome, yeah. Well, cool. We. uh we decided to sit down. We wanted to pick your brain about something that is probably on a lot of our listeners' radar. I know for Joe and myself and Chad, we've talked about this. Joe and I are headed out there again, and Chad's coming next year. Next year. <laughs> yeah. Promise. Spring bear hunting. <laughs> Spring bear hunting. And there's a lot of places you can go to experience it, and we just want to get your take on tactics, thoughts, states, opportunity, uh, and it kind of kind of outlines some of that stuff for our listeners, so that people have a chance to really make some plans if they want to try to do something like that. So, yeah, where yeah, do you- so I think we're kind of talking maybe just starting like what states are viable and what states are actually worth the the trip. Too. Sure, well, I think you know there's probably four states, but the fourth is probably graduate level spring bear hunting yeah. because the logistics are a little bit more challenging and that's Alaska. Yeah. Oh, uh, but I think to start, uh, there's probably, th- there's three States that have spring bear seasons that are pretty accessible. Yeah. Uh, Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they're all over the counter. Um, they vary in how they manage the take. So, uh, some units in Montana, um, and I think all, I believe all units in Wyoming, you'd have to check the regulation, have a female, female mortality quota. So oh. over the counter tags, but as the season progresses, um, as bears are checked in, they had so many females taken and the season will shut down. Okay. That can, that can definitely cause Ooh. some, uh, some frayed nerves, especially yeah. Yeah. for the residents, you know, when people come in and, and mistakenly shoot a female or fill the female quota in the first week and now they're shut down. Yeah. Yeah. For the rest of the season. But yeah, yeah those are the those are kind of the three main opportunities. Um I think the biggest differentiation between the three states is one probably just the terrain you're gonna experience, which you know anybody can look at a map and see what that looks like. But uh um baiting. So Wyoming and Idaho allow baiting. Depending on how you want to hunt, you know, if if you want to do baiting and you want to, if you want to hike in bait and do that sort of thing, you know, 
those are great opportunities. Yeah. They do make it a little more challenging for the spot and stock hunter um, because bait is going to pull bears kind of off their natural routines. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's going to prevent them from coming out in the open in areas where a spot and stock hunter can take advantage. And uh, so it, it can kind of throw things off. Uh, for the non-resident, Wyoming, uh, there's no hunting in wilderness areas without yeah. a guide. So that yeah, makes it challenging. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Idaho, on the other hand, you can hike into wilderness as a non-resident and get away from the bait, the guy's baiting. Because, yeah. uh, again, you have to confirm all of it in the regulations, but most wilderness area, if not all wilderness area in Idaho, is uh, no baiting allowed. Okay, yeah. so okay. you can hike away from the the folks that are baiting and get to some of that country. But That's good to know. The One thing about that that I wonder about, though, with Idaho, because... They can run them with hounds, can't they? I believe so. Yeah, I'm not so I wonder. 100% certain. And then be something to look at too is if they can run them with hounds in the wilderness areas or not. I would think not, probably, but who knows? Yeah, and getting hounds into the wilderness area would be a lot of work. If you know, other than the fringes, yeah. would be a yeah, challenge. Yeah, so. something but, to look into specifically on the regs. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about that as a state option. Yeah, it's, check that out. You'll definitely want that to be part of your your initial <laughs> yeah. research <You're> planning. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think if I was to go to Idaho, I would look for houndsmen because yeah. they would love to. They they typically want to take people out, oh, yeah, and that would pro- be kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> but, be interesting. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It's a different experience having only very little experience with hounds or watching hounds work. I've heard bears are one of the faster things that they have to track, and a bear can outrun hounds. Uh, you know, with which is kind of surprising compared to like cats or yeah, right. yeah. yeah, run with hounds, but a barrel, a barrel run them into the ground. So huh. no, kidding. that's yeah. awesome to know. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, you'd think you'd no, look you look at wouldn't. it. You look at a, a a plump black bear, and then you look at a mountain lion, and you think, man, how would what would that be like between those two? You'd think for sure that mountain lion would be able to just carry on. Yeah. Right. It, well, the stamina alone, you would imagine. That. <laughs> right. That's I incredible. think with lions, like their their initial instinct is to jump right up a tree. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So chances are a lion's not really getting chased. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they may only hear those dogs for thirty seconds. Yeah. You know, and they just pop up a tree yeah. because nine times out of ten, that's they've out the tree yeah. until yeah. the dogs take off. And yeah. Then, they're back at it, but a bear doesn't necessarily always have that, sure. quite that ability. So. Yeah, that's Unless awesome. Unless they're a young one. What is it, like 18 months or something like that? Yeah. With a black bear and that they... Black bears can climb trees climb. pretty well, I think, even as they get a little bit older, but yeah. Not, yeah. Well, not like a cat's going to be able yeah. to shoot up a tree. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. The, those are the three kind of, in the lower 48, options that you would look at to say, here's yeah. here's some... Here's kind of some groundwork for you. Wyoming, Idaho, Montana would yeah. be that. And Montana doesn't allow baiting and they don't allow hounds. So for the spot and stock hunter, that's kind of the, you know, that's going to be your that's the least amount of competition yeah. anyways. Yeah. What about uh, what about tag prices between the three? Are you familiar with how much they vary or if they're pretty similar? I believe they're pretty close they're pretty okay. close yeah idaho is a little i think idaho is the cheapest right because yeah. i looked at it when i did that seminar last year i believe idaho is the cheapest but they are they're all within like 100 bucks of each other they're okay all pretty close. okay cool because joe and i we've we've been just to montana mm-hmm. 
and both had the opportunity to be successful there. And, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a cool time of year to get out in the Mm -hmm. mountains, Yeah, you know, and for, if for any other reason, maybe just do it for that. Yeah. You know, cause like you said, I, I a hundred percent agree, especially from us guys in the Midwest with limited knowledge and experience, we're going to more often not get the job done when it comes to dropping a critter, but to be able to really look at the experience as part of it as a successful thing is important for us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's like the, you know, it's cool to see the animals and everything in the springtime, but it's really just cool to watch like the mountain come back to life after a long winter, like watch the grass green up literally. Like as you're there, you can see the grass get greener. Yeah. Watching the deer and elk and everything else running around. Yeah. Streams get bigger and bigger or lower and lower, depending on how the weather was that year. But it's just like everything, you just watch everything kind of come to life and it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. cool to see. Yeah, yeah for sure. So. And just to shake off the cabin fever. I mean, yeah, it's, totally. It's such a breath of fresh air to yeah. get, right. get, out of the, get out of the house and get up and stretch yeah. your legs a little bit. Yeah, knock just some of that rust off. Once you hit like that Bozeman line and you start hitting the mountains and stuff, it's like, all right, yeah, now I can relax. Yeah. 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 This is going to be a good time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I primarily hunted Montana too, um, mostly because I prefer the spot and stock. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, obviously that's my preferred method in uh, in Alaska. You know, recently, but yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll have to get into that a little bit later because I think people would be really curious to hear more about that for sure. Uh, a little, we can surely give a little primer. It, it's a totally different experience than spring bear hunting and you know yeah. spot and stock in the mountains, but it's definitely a it's an experience you won't forget. Yeah, so, yeah. sure, I bet. That's awesome. I want to do that one day. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, so we talked, Joe touched on talking to locals. Yeah. And as a, as a Midwesterner, just being honest, a lot of times you feel like you're walking on eggshells up front because you think, boy, I don't want to just, I wouldn't expect somebody out West to come and say, hey, where's your honey hole or where's... Where do you, where should I be? And so you don't want to step on anybody's toes in that, but I know Joe and I both have been helped out tremendously. I think the upfront thought is nobody's going to want to help me, but I think most guys are pretty easygoing with that kind of stuff. But what, what's your opinion on, on kind of reaching out for help? In general, and this applies to all species, you know, when I've, when I've done that sort of thing and reaching out is... Um, I always try and reach out, not in a help me develop a plan, but Hey, here's my plan. Yeah. There like, you go. Like, this is what I'm, this is what I think, you know, based on all of the research and everything I've done. And can you give me some critique on it? Can you give me some feedback? Am I totally off base? And, and I think usually they appreciate that type of, sure. And that's whether you're talking to a biologist or a you know conservation officer or yeah. reaching out to somebody that you've, you know, contacted you know on a forum or something like that they they appreciate the the fact that you've put some effort into it because i think so many times you know the biologists or everybody else like you know as soon as that draws come out like they're getting like 80 phone calls a day i bet from everybody's just like where do i gum get an elk you know right right so (laughs) i think i think if you can show that you've put some effort into it on your own yeah uh, you'll you'll probably get a little better feedback 
Yeah. Uh, and, and I think you'll be a better hunter for it. Right. Uh, having having put the critical thought yeah. into it. Um, totally. As for bears specifically, I, I mean, there's compared to deer and elk, it's such a difference in hunting pressure. Sure. And and involvement. There's just way fewer people out doing it. So I think, you know, there's a lot less concern about like giving up spots yep. or yeah. You know, yeah. Where they've seen bears because it's just not as not as valued of yeah. treasured information, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that we've Joe and I specifically out there have had a lot of experience with uh and I'll leave him unnamed because he asked me not to ever share his name about helping out, but that's exactly I reached out to a gentleman that I knew knew the areas that I kind of was looking at and I just said here's my plan and pretty elaborate plan and said, you know, what are your thoughts? Just any thoughts you have. And he ended up kind of directing me specifically to a different area and really gave keyed me in on an area. And it was cool because, and I think you're a hundred percent right. I think it's, if I would have just messaged him, Hey, looking to spring bear hunt, where should I go? (laughs) He probably would never answer, but the fact that he knew, man, this kid's in Minnesota, poor dude sitting on his computer looking at maps trying to figure out what on earth to do, yeah. he helped me out, Yeah, you know? So much of, like, hunting public land out west, too, is about eliminating country as much as, like, identifying the country yep. that has mm-hmm. game. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as you start e-scouting and you're just looking at these huge tracts of public land that we're just not used to dealing with around here, or we're used to a five 600 acre WMA, you know, or yeah. something like that. Uh, it's about eliminating country and yep. spring bear can be particularly interesting in that regard. Cause you know, the locals are going to have information like, well, that road that you think goes up to the base, that gated logging road is in the shadow of a mountain. And so that's going to have six feet of snow, snow on yeah. it until the middle oh of my June. goodness. Sure. So like, right. That's great. But you're going to be, you're going to have to get out of the truck at, eight miles from the gate. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. right. And that's, that's a hundred percent true. And yeah. Like, and you'll I've been have out that. there and had run into that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. The first year I went out, we hiked, parked at a trailhead and I had this whole plan in my mind of, we're going to take this trail back to this area. These areas look good from the map. And we got halfway in and all of a sudden we realized we're walking on like four feet of snow. Yeah. 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 Like, so okay, what, turn around. So what are you looking for to eliminate most of the, I guess, the chaff on, on the map. That's a good, yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, starting real big picture. Yeah. You know, you can get on the Game and Fish website. You can look at units. You can look at harvest statistics. You know, bears all need to be checked in. So, you know, harvest statistics are pretty accurate yeah. out there. And, you know, before you start anywhere else, like like pick a unit that has decent harvest numbers because you know there's a density of bears there. The nice thing about bears versus elk is they're a little more evenly spread across the mountain versus elk that, you know, you could have a big range and, like, there's 200 elk in a ball, like, in one drainage. The rest of the area is, like, void of them. Okay, (laughs) yep, that makes sense. uh, I think the biggest thing is, you know, there's there's probably bears all over the place, but it's finding bears that you can find and stock. Yep. Mm -hmm. So... I'm usually focusing in on that type of terrain that I feel like I can take advantage of what the bears do in that time of year. Um, so I'm looking oftentimes for avalanche slides, um, 
clear cuts, stuff that's adjacent to pretty like decently heavy timber. Um, and you know, place where the bear can go during the day and, and bed down, but then come out and get access to, you know, fresh grass or glacier lilies or whatever they're foraging on that time of year. Yeah. And I try and find that stuff at multiple different elevations. Okay. So I try and not just, you know, look wide along, along a mountain or a ridge, uh, or for just those specific areas, but I try and find them a higher and lower along the range because the one variable that you're really not going to know until you're pretty close to the hunt is, is where the snow situation is yeah. going to be at. Right. Cause that's going to have a big impact on, you know, where you're seeing bears, uh, especially in that type of terrain, because they're, they're generally going to be up closer to the snow line. Cause it, and once the grass, once the greens up in the timber, the bear are going to be much less likely to be out in the open. Yeah. They'll stay in the timber and feed in the timber. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's kind of that sweet spot below the snow line. You know, every bear I've actually killed in Montana has been within a couple hundred yards of the snow line. Yeah. So mm. wow. Depending on the time of year you go, depending on snow conditions, you know how the melt goes. Um, you may not know until you're like heading out there, and you may have a bunch of awesome looking clear cuts that are buried in eight feet of snow. Or the snow line is, you know, a thousand what? feet above no. them. Sure. And any bears that might have been using them were using them, you know, three or four weeks ago. Sure. Yeah. Oh, and okay. now they're in the timber, you know, and they don't have to come back out because yeah. they're Thanks. they can stay in the cover all day long. So yeah. you know, that scarcity of food right when they come out of out of the den is what's gonna drive them out into the open. And that's really what you need to rely on to get on bears that's great so, advice yeah. awesome once that stuff happens then you're kind of left you're kind of relegated to walk in closed logging roads and stuff like that where you could try and find um scat and fresh scat and that sort yeah. of thing yep uh which you can always do but uh and for my money you know getting up on a glassing point and glassing you know big expansive vistas or you know, the big series of avalanche shoots, it's tough to beat that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Just looking over it, you're, you're kind of broadening your opportunity when you're looking over a lot of good area instead of, because I've done what you've talked about just on some of those logging roads that are closed and you're kind of creeping around corners, yeah. you know, hoping that maybe you catch one out in the open, just feeding on that lush grass on the edge of the logging road or something. But you almost feel like you're handcuffed a little bit. Like, yeah. boy, if he's not on this road when I come through here, right. I'm out of luck. But if I'm looking at two avalanche slides that represent hundreds and hundreds of acres of yeah. opportunity. And you'll the other thing about logging roads is, you know, is you, you have to really have a pretty good idea of what you're about to take a shot at. You yeah. Know? So from a sex and the bear perspective. Yeah, that's a good you point. Know, you come up on a bear, it's not like you can just pop off a snapshot at a bear because <laughs> yeah. it could be a saw with cubs. You right. Know, you, you know, and you, yeah. You, yeah. you're obviously, then you're in, you're in violation. So you, you kind of need a little bit of time to look at a bear. Yeah. And they're not easy to judge necessarily. Um, so popping up on one on a logging road can be kind of a, kind of a gamble. Yeah. You, you might right. see a lot of bears that you don't feel comfortable taking a shot at. Yeah, so because you're not sure, maybe we could transition to that yeah, a little bit yeah. of judging because that I know is especially 
for, you know, we've talked to guys out there and Joe and I specifically have a couple guys that really have helped us and given us a lot of information and help. And the sad part is we're not like them. We can't leave work, head to the mountain, look, get our eyes on bears uh, all season. We, yep. We've got to count on the maybe three or four bears we see the whole spring season to know, okay, well, how big is that? Is it a boar? Is it a sow? So what are some what are some of your thoughts and things you're looking for when you see a bear to judge that specifically? Yeah. I don't feel like I'm in any way an expert on this, uh, but some of the things that I look at in a – First thing is obviously cubs. Like right. I I would endeavor to like get a chance to look at a bear when it's in the open enough where I feel like I've got a pretty good idea if there's cubs around. Uh, okay. Cuz yeah. that's like number one like thing that's going to be a dead giveaway. Yeah. Um they could always be hiding back in the brush, you know, but I think if you watch a bear long enough, you'll find like bears never sit still. Yeah. So they're always moving and and I feel like if you can watch them for you know a long a period of time, like if there's cubs around, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna catch wind of them somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, it's 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 hard to pick apart like the individual pieces that that I look at. You know, I kind of you get kind of an overall feel after sure. you've looked at a handful of bears, but you know the big things like the ears are can be a giveaway. Certainly, um, if it looks like it's got big ears. It's it's probably a younger bear. Uh, yeah. If the ears look, you know, more like a fox, you know, or they're sticking straight up in the air, uh, you know, gives you a sense that you know their skull hasn't really started to expand out, and those ears haven't kind of started to come down on the sides. Yeah. Sure. A bigger bear is going to look. The ears are going to look tiny. Yeah. And they're going to kind of drop down onto the sides of the the head a little more. See, yep. I've always heard the ears tiny, but I've never heard like the drop down thing, and that's a really yeah. on the sides. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah that's, yeah, I mean they're not going to be sticking straight out, but it, you know instead of like pointing straight up like yeah, a German Shepherd or something, they start angle. to like yeah. out to the, the side yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, that was the first thing that I was told. I was in Montana, and a guy stopped by a gas station where I was filling up, and he lived there, and he got to talking to me about what I was out there doing, and he goes, "Just remember, if you lay eyes on a bear and it looks like he doesn't have ears." Yeah. That's definitely one you want to go after. <laughs> right, <for sure>. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, that makes sense. I've heard people say the same thing with eyes. Like if it looks like their eyes are super close together, it's because their head's expanded out. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, that's a good uh, point. Uh, All right. I've heard people talk about like kind of the the shape of the head, like if it's a real blocky looking head versus a more angular, you know, or like pointed face, that can be an indication of a you know, a sow would be a more angular kind of face. I've heard that, yeah. And then the other thing that I kind of look at is like the, the body shape and gait. So, okay, like kind of, I would say like a pear shaped versus a beer keg shaped. You know, and and especially the big boars, you know, are going to have like a deeper chest, where a, a sow is going to have a thinner chest. She's going to be look bigger on the rump and kind of taper yeah. down towards the front. Okay. Has a little more kind of delicate looking front legs, you know. Some so of that hourglass and, figure is what you're saying. Well, you like a, <laughs> this kind of deal, yeah. Uh, Basically, the way we as humans 
look at <laughs> females <laughs> tipped over on their side. Not yeah, okay. totally different. Right? Yeah, totally different. Yeah, uh, but we the, want a good proportion. Yeah, yeah. It's, this is out of proportion a little bit. Is what we're looking for for Sal's. Right. Okay. And the, no offense to any of our female listeners. Yeah, out yeah, there. certainly not. This is a totally different deal. We're talking. Right. About. Exactly. You know, and the the big boars will kind of you know kind of have that bulldog kind of kind of walk to them, a little bow-legged up front. You kind of feel like they're they're kind of – they don't look like they're afraid of a lot of things. They're probably yeah. afraid of grizzlies yeah. if you're in grizzly country. <laughs> right. But they just – you kind of get a feel for it, and I, it's it's kind of the same with like bounting goats or some of these other things that you look at that don't have a real defined like feature that characterizes the differences between the sexes. You, you kind of look at them and just get a sense. One of the things that I – did before I first went out spring bear hunting was I downloaded like 20 pictures of black bears off the internet, hmm. different sizes, shapes, characteristics. And I just kind of made notes, you know, yeah. threw them in like a PowerPoint. I made notes based on what I'd read, seen people tell me about and just tried breaking them down. And then I sent that to some guys I knew that were experienced bear hunters said, tell me where I'm wrong. Like, what do you think about these bears? Like, like, what am I missing? And just to kind of start to get a feel for it, because it is one of those things you look at them and you're just like, everything about that bear to me says boar. But how do I, there's not really that defining characteristic that's going to guarantee it until that bears on the ground and you roll them over and you check and then you're a hundred percent certain. Yeah. 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 Lay on your, his back and spread his legs for you, give you a good view. Yeah, then you can see what's then going on. Yeah. Then you're 100% that's, certain. That's, yeah, that's great advice. <laughs> we are going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey Siri, play the latest episode of the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast. Okay, Backcountry Dreaming Podcast coming up. Go out, and I've always thought that turkey hunting might be one of the best hunts to take somebody out on that maybe has never hunted before or is reintroduced. Oh, it's crazy fun. It's active. It's action. Hey, Apple users, did you know you can access the Backcountry Dreaming podcast using Siri? You can also find us on Spotify and Stitcher. But no matter where you get your podcasts, remember to subscribe and give us a rating and review. We love your feedback. And now... Back to the show. Well, what's next on the list, boys? Talk about um, maybe. Well, we, want, we want to talk about just kind of like like weather and like kind of like gear. Like what are some of the essentials that you would. And I, weather with spring bear from what I've seen from the couple times I've done it, it varies. Yeah. I mean, one year it could be cold and nasty. Me and Brian got in a pretty nasty storm one night. <laughs> we, did. we parked the truck right next to the tent in case a tree came down. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so, yeah, just kind of like some of the essentials and kind of like what to kind of like, you know, ballpark expect for the like broad view, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I think it really, obviously the first thing is going to be if you're going to backpack in somewhere, if you're yeah. going to day hunt. I don't usually ever leave Minnesota without the gear I need to backpack so in somewhere. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think just to talk day hunting because I think that's the majority of guys that are going to spring bear hunt is uh, you could very easily see everything from 
60, 70 degrees when you're stepping off from the trailhead to, you know, 30 degrees and breezy, like when you're sitting up on a point glassing. So it's really, <laughs> you, you have to bring with some, some insulating layers oh. because like you're working your way quite a bit up in elevation, potentially you're getting up near that snow line where all the air is going to be filtering through that cold timber that's, you know, in snow. So you can get pretty chilly up there and it, there's a chance to get wet. So I, yeah. you know, as far as clothing goes, um, usually I pack like a lightweight pair of nylon shorts and I will, will oftentimes like walk in and wear your silkies. We could have done that last year (laughs) (laughs) or two years ago. Remember that? It was like 80. Yeah. It was hot. Like, geez, what's going on? And a bear came out that night. (laughs) (laughs) And then I, you know, I'll have, usually I've got like puffy stuff. So like if you got puffy pants, puffy coat and then rain and then a rain layer. Yeah, uh, yeah, and usually I'll use that rain layer as kind of a wind layer too, uh, just to try and save on some space. Yeah, um, usually like the kind of the best hours, probably that four o'clock till sundown to see bears. Um, so a lot of times you're stepping off from the trailhead, depending on how far you think you need to go in. Maybe like eleven o'clock in the morning, you know, and and working your way up, and yeah. you could be. Depending on how far you go in, a lot of times we're hiking two and a half to three hours before we get to a glassing point. Yeah. So you could not be getting out until fairly late at night. So planning your meals and some of that stuff, a lot of times we'll bring stoves and and meals up on yeah. the hill with us. I think, yeah, sure. I think having a stove on a glassing knob, whether you're cooking food or not, is essential. Yeah. If you can make hot coffee or like even like oatmeal or something on your glassing talk about a game changer a morale booster yeah Yeah. because you're just sitting there looking through glass for hours and you get pretty miserable after especially in like a windy day where it's just blowing in your face all day you're going to burn a lot of calories on that hike in Mm -hmm. potentially then you're going to sit up on a knob and it's going to get cold and breezy and yeah sun's going to start going down and you're going to feel it and it just gives you a boost to like stick it out and stay focused on what you're doing yeah on the on the real quick on the just because we're on gear a little bit so I don't forget, when it comes to power for binos and spotting scope, or what are you running for that? I use, I have a set of eights and a set of tens uh, for binos. I generally have got my tens out there. A lot of times I'm I'm glassing from quite a ways away. Uh, okay. You know, maybe the closest be two, 300 yards out to maybe a mile and a half plus. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, binoculars on a tripod, like I would always have it set up so I can do that. And then as far as a spotter goes, I only own one spotter. It's a 20 to 60 by 65 Swaro. Okay. And yeah. it's, it's uh gets the job done, but good glass is important, especially if you got to sit there and watch that bear for a little bit of time. Uh, one thing I've that I like to do as well as um, if you've got I have a super zoom like point and shoot camera. You know, it's not the kind of camera that's great for everything else, but I like it for hunting because it gives me an opportunity. I'll put that up on the tripod. It's got sixty power zoom, and I'll actually take video and uh-huh. pictures of what I'm looking at, and then you can sit and like look at it. You can kind of compare notes and take a little bit more time to kind of mm. s- study what you're looking at. Yeah. Okay. 
Because a lot of times those bears will be moving around doing different things. You can kind of go back to where they're in a certain position where you could see some feature of them better. Yeah. You can kind of bump back and look at that stuff. Smart. That's, um, yeah, that's yeah, actually yeah. really smart. Yep. Big time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just other stuff, the stuff you need up there, like a gl- good glassing pad, anything mm. you need to like be comfortable and sit behind the glass. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple other kind of unique things to bear hunting, you know, a set of snowshoes, um, be careful with the kind of snowshoes you're probably used to using around the Midwest, like the, the, the tube style. The or, no cleat style. Yeah. Like, work well on I have a set of MSRs <laughs> that are like a metal rimmed snowshoe with good cleats and um, okay yeah because you don't want to be sliding skiing backwards but if if you got to cross a snow field you know if you're putting a stock on a bear and you got to bomb down through some stuff rather than post holing up to your crotch and snow oh that's a really good easy to happen yeah it's a great point yeah and uh and trekking poles with powder baskets okay it was uh if you've if you've got trekking poles yeah it's pretty easy to go on Amazon. You could swap them out for some powder baskets. Yeah, mm. gives you just a little bit extra push off if you're crossing yeah. snow yeah. S- snow stuff. But okay, um, awesome. Otherwise, the only other thing I would say for gear is is permethrin. Yeah, <laughs> because it's like yep. tick central out there. Yeah, yeah that's the <laughs> thing. You, Do not run a tarp or a teepee unless you got a liner. Yeah, because. I thought about that. I'm like, man, how nice would it be to run just like a tarp or a teepee on these hunts? And then, and then once you get out there, and I'm glad I didn't do it the first year, but I got out there, and you're sitting glassing, and next thing you know, you're like picking ticks off you yeah. all night the next night, and you're like, good lord, they're just it's everywhere. That, it's the beauty of me though, is I'm I have that gene that doesn't attract. Ticks, I know it so, sucks. Yeah, we sat time. there that first night, and I had like 20 on me at one time, and Joe's like, I got <laughs> none. Yeah. <laughs> Two of them. I'm like, whatever. It's yeah. awesome. You just embed a tick collar in your yeah, skin or much, what? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a gene that it like attracts like blood suckers, oh. and huh. most people have it, and I'm, not many people don't have it. And I'm one of the guys that doesn't have it because the last time, the time I went before, my buddy's sitting in the tent at night picking off like 20 ticks. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? I got this many ticks. I'm like. I got none. <laughs> it's crazy. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. I'm yeah. like, there's no way. This is not possible. <laughs> so yeah, bring in that. Yeah. For those of us losers, <laughs> unlike <laughs> Joe, who get ticks. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, for gear, it's just all the other same smart stuff you bring with on every other hunt. You yeah. Know, it's some of the highest bear densities in Montana coincide with grizzly country. So yeah. You know, being smart about that stuff. You know, I, I'm a carry. Always got bear spray and yep, all that yep. good stuff with me. But do you find that in areas? This is just you know, just an observation, and maybe it's not correct. But do you find that in high grizzly density areas that black bears seem to be a, a little bit more on edge when they're out in the open, um, or almost like? Because for some reason, and I don't know why, the first year I went out, there was two specific bears that I watched come out in the open on different evenings. And it seemed like they, maybe this is normal behavior, but it seemed like they didn't want to stay out in that open very long without retreating back in the wood line sure. and then coming back out, kind of t- almost like they were tiptoeing back out, let me get some food, and then retreating back in. What do yeah. you think about that? I don't know. that. I mean, it 
certainly could be tied to a grizzly in the area. I think those black bears probably have a pretty good sense of what else is cruising around. Probably a better sense than we do sure. when we're sitting yep. up there like what other bears. But I, you know, I think, you know, it could be, you know, if it was a sow or a sow with cubs, they could know that there's a, there's a boar black bear using that same yeah. opening or that same yeah, area okay. to feed. And, and they could be reacting to that as well. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it could be a, there's probably like a million reasons that it could be, could but, be, yeah. You know, I would assume that. You know, I know they're uh, not super tolerant of each other. At least it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. The other thing on gear, because uh, you talked about archery hunting, are you doing some of these with a bow? I haven't gone down that road yet. Okay. Um, I think it's a pretty decent opportunity to pursue them with a bow. I, yeah. I've the bears I've killed. Uh, short of the one in Alaska would have been really that I killed in Alaska would have been really tough to kill with a bow, but both bears that I killed in Montana would have been pretty doable with pretty a bow. doable with yeah. a bow. I, I killed them both at under 150 yards with a rifle. Okay, and I probably could have gotten closer. I just didn't yeah. have really yeah. a need to, but um, yeah. So I, I think it's it's a great opportunity to try and stretch your legs and get the yeah. bow out early. Cool. I had actually intended to bring a bow to Alaska and I'd started shooting and I was shooting really great. And then for whatever reason, about a month before the hunt, I just was, I didn't get any shooting in and I just, you know, right before the trip, I just kind of didn't feel right about it. I just yeah. wasn't well, as yeah. comfortable as I wanted to be. And that especially says a, with bear too. That's something you wouldn't want to mess yeah. with. If you yeah. Win. And that says a lot about, about you because yeah, yeah, a lot of guys would have this in their mind that I'm going to do it with a bow and whether I got to practice enough or not, I'm taking my bow and that's just the wrong approach. Yeah, when you, know. when you get out there and you wound something or something goes wrong and you can look back and say, yeah, I didn't do everything I should have. That's a horrible feeling. Yeah. yeah. And well, I've, I've known guys that have lost bears up in Alaska, especially Southeast Alaska where it's like rainforest. It's temperate yeah. rainforest really. Yeah. So like you get off the beach and it, you know, you you really feel like you're like stepped into a different world. Yeah, hmm. and it's just unbelievably thick and big log jams and just um, so many crazy. places for a bear to just disappear into uh, within thirty yards of the beach. You yeah, know, that it'd be pretty. I just like I say, it was a it was kind of a last minute judgment call that I just didn't feel as comfortable with it as I wanted to be. Yeah. Totally, but. That's awesome, uh, though. I think we should get into POW a little bit and then yeah, on this one after that. But yeah, yeah, totally. We'll through kind of the story. Yeah, of, share us a little. Share with us. Yeah. So experience. Prince of Wales, um, we hunted it last spring, so May of 2018. Um, you actually apply for the tag about a year and a half before the hunt. So the spring Whoa. tags in Alaska are grouped with the uh, previous falls tags. So the application period for a spring bear hunt is the same time you would have applied for like everything else in Alaska the fall prior. Oh, okay. So uh, I think we applied and it would have been December of 2016. Um, drew the tag. Um, I'd had a buddy that had hunted Prince of Wales before and, and he wanted to throw back in, apply with his dad. Uh, and then me and another guy from Minnesota – and then a few other guys that we spring bear hunt in Montana with pretty regularly, we all kind of threw in. And it's not a super hard tag to draw. You know, it's probably not quite 50-50 draw odds or, or something like that. I think it was our third time that we drew it. 
uh, okay. appliance. So hmm. uh, we're super lucky it took us longer than it maybe should have. But <laughs> uh, we did it all DIY. Um, our one buddy had a little bit of the logistics stuff dialed in. Um, about six months prior to going, um, you can reserve Forest Service cabins and that kind of stuff. So we stayed in a Forest Service cabin on an inlet. We uh, rented a pickup. We well, we rented a couple pickups and a skiff for the four of us, and uh, and two of us primarily hunted the water, and and the other two wanted to hunt uh, the road network in like the higher country. Okay. Um, we saw an amazing amount of bears. I mean, I've you know twice as many bears as I've probably seen bear hunting up until then. I think wow. in five wow. days yeah. we saw about 50 bears. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, that's where we're going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's a totally different experience. I yeah, mean, geez. You, you know, and we rented this gift, so, like, the whole day was kind of just a, just a buffet of, like, stuff to do. Like, we had fishing rods, we had crab pots, we had, you know, all kinds of little inlets and little, I mean, kind of imagine some of it looked similar to like boundary waters or Canadian shield type lake. I mean, it was on salt water and there were Harbor seals and Harbor seals or ring seals. I don't remember which one, uh, all sorts of Marine life around. Um, but you kind of got that feel, you know, real rocky mm-hmm. rocks coming up out of the water and just like back every, in all these little. It's like every little boy's dream. I know. Like, yeah. I know. I'm going to bear hunting in Alaska and while I'm screwing around during the day, I'm going to set crab pots and go fishing. Yeah. I know. I know. Crazy. And I'm staying in a little cabin, by the way. <laughs> so I think the first day we hunted was Sunday. And we probably saw 10, 12 bears on Sunday you know, right off the bat. Saw, um, I don't know if that first day if we saw a real big boar, um, but we I know Monday we did we start we got into some big bears. Yeah. Um, my buddy had knocked the guy the guy that came from Minnesota hadn't killed a bear before. Um, he'd been out spring bear hunting, but just had never been able to connect. Um, so he was pretty motivated right off the bat, and he found we found about a six foot uh, boar Monday night, and it was um, you know obviously that's like a huge bear for Minnesota Montana yeah. mm-hmm. like anywhere like. Given the average black bear taken in the U.S. is like four and a half foot bear, yeah. a six foot boar was like a beauty. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, so he put a awesome stock on it. Ended up sh- like I dropped him on the shoreline, took the skiff back out a couple hundred yards out into the water, and these bears are super focused on what they're doing. You know, whether it's tearing up clam beds or eating grass or whatever, right on the shoreline. And he ended up stalking to within 30 yards of the bear and uh, climbed up like it was a weird little point and climbed up kind of on this rock pile. And it was just, and I watched the whole thing from the boat, like 200 yards out. And uh, that's awesome. As soon as the bear, like as soon as he hit it, it dropped. You know, we both had, were nervous about these bears getting back up and shooting into the timber. So I like gunned the motor and shot right up to the shoreline <laughs> to like get right up on the bear. So. And he was coming. We kind of converged on it all at once, and we were just, you know, it was pretty awesome. That's cool. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's like a super short pack out. You know, like drag the thing <laughs> like 10 yards, <laughs> wrestle, it over the, wrestle it over the bow of the boat, and, 
and you're like, well, we're good. Like, <laughs> motor on back to camp. That's know? awesome. And, uh, yeah, so we hunted a couple more days. Um, I was holding out for a little bigger bear. I, I was, I was okay going home without a, a bear, you know, if it, I was trying to get a big one and yeah. I'd seen a couple of big ones. Um, the one I, I'd, was actually in the middle of just putting a practice stock on a smaller bear uh, that we'd seen and um, just kind of messing around. I didn't even bring my rifle with me. You know, I, I, and I just was like creeping and rearing with chest waders and everything. And I was actually trying out stalking through the water instead of getting up on the shoreline because I thought it might be quieter. Uh-huh. And uh, so I was, you know, in waist deep water, just cruising up to this bear and got within like 15, 20 yards before it turned around, saw me and popped into the timber. And I turned around and started walking back to the boat. My buddy's like, oh, all right, let's go check out some of these other areas, you know, see if we can find a big one. And I looked across this kind of, the inlet kind of had a turn and there was kind of a little bay back in the corner. And I'm like, from probably a mile and a half away, like I saw this big black dot and I'm like, I think maybe like that one right there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Put the binos up on it and it was like, yep, that's, you could tell from a pretty good distance it was a big bear and. We cruised over there. I was able to, he dropped me, got up on shore, and I got to about 180 yards. And between me and the bear was a, a creek fed out into the ocean or the inlet right there. And uh, so I couldn't have really gotten much closer. I set up on this kind of big snag of of timber that was like deadfall or whatever. And got set up and I'm looking at this bear and I'd, I'd heard somebody had told me before we went, like when you see a really big bear on in Southeast Alaska, it's can almost be deceiving because you look for like that big pot belly and uh, big like beer keg chest on a bear. And this bear's belly was probably 18 inches off the ground. And, but I, somebody had told me like they get deceiving because when they get really big, they, like they get longer legs and they look a lot. They kind of oh, look lankier. Mm. And uh, Interesting. But I was looking at him and it, it took me a while to decipher really what I was looking at. And uh, eventually he turned and looked at me and I was looking at him through the scope of my rifle. And I saw his head and just like it was kind of that whole deal, like ears off to the side, like tiny little ears and uh, just a big blocky, huge face. And I... um pretty much knew as soon as I saw that, I'm like, yeah, that's good. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, rip, so, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I hit them, hit them once. Um, you know, bears aren't particularly hard to kill. I mean, I was shooting a seven MM eight with a 140 grain all copper bullet and he went 15 yards. Wow. Jeez. Um, huh. Shot up off the beach, up into the timber a little bit, tipped over behind a log, uh, got in there and, got up to him to like ground check him and make sure everything was copacetic with his, with his equipment. <laughs> and, uh, we could barely move the bear. Wow. He was a, he was a big awesome. bear. Cool. Uh, That's great. He ended up squaring right about seven and a half foot. Jeez. Wow. Uh, was a 16th of an inch shy Boone and Crockett. Oh, uh, wow. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> a six. Oh. But, uh, but, stretch him out a little yeah. stretcher on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which isn't, you know, a super big deal to me, but uh, just, 
you know, for point of reference, but just he was an old bear. You could yeah. tell he was a warrior. He'd actually, he must have been fighting with another bear because his lower jaw was busted up. Like some of his teeth in between his lower canines were like free of the bone. Yeah. You know, oh, from fighting oh with something. And uh, just a real old bear. Like yeah. Clearly an old warrior, you know, and uh, was really something to walk up to and. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. yeah so that sounds really, like a dream. It was, right. it was an amazing trip and just everything, you know, that you get to see there, you know, from crabbing while you're out there. Every night you're eating fresh Dungeness crab that you <laughs> yeah. you pull up. Man, that sounds horrible. horrible. It's like every little boy's dream. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and for the average guy, it's pretty attainable. Yeah. Know, from yeah. a cost perspective, you know, all in, I think, with – you know, I'm having it rugged out and all in with taxidermy. I think it'll be about 4,500 bucks. Okay. The yeah. whole trip. Wow. Um, which airfare, ferry from Catch Can over to Prince of Wales, renting the skiff and the truck and all that stuff. It's so it's all doable. Right. It's, uh, it's yeah. obviously not a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, somebody who's fired up about bears, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. You mentioned that it, it that's more of a, a graduate level. The only reason I say that is like the logistics aspect sure. of it. Yeah. Uh, or if you're not comfortable in boats, I guess it's a little bit more complicated, yeah. but you do kind of have to have your act together when it comes to, you know, everything else. Like in Montana, like if you're not comfortable skinning out a skull or like some of this stuff, like you can just bring it to the meat processing place and they'll skin yeah. your bear out for mm-hmm. you. you. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, you could bring it somewhere and get it froze or, you know, throw it in just coolers with ice. Well, when you got to actually get that thing home on an airplane, it just requires a little bit more planning. Yeah. Sure. Um, sure. And if you haven't been through that kind of hunt before, I think it's, uh, you know, it just takes a little bit extra knowing yeah, what you, yeah. knowing what you got cut out for you and, yeah. and just being smart about packing too, cause you're going by plane. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I know my first trips hunting, out west in general, like I packed everything, including the kitchen sink and yeah. you know the bathtub, and seventy five percent of it like never got used. Yeah, yeah. Now I, I still go, do that. Now <laughs> I go on a trip and I like if I'm flying, like which I do occasionally, fly out and meet buddies out in Montana. Like I'll I got like my gun case or my bow case. And a big, like, one of those rubberized North Face duffels. Yeah. And I just stick my pack inside it, yep. zip it up, and check it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I don't, that's all I really, I don't need much more than that. Right. And, uh, so it's, you you get a little bit smarter. Your field yeah. craft kind of improves. And yeah. sure. it makes it a lot easier to tackle that kind of hunt when you've, you don't have all those other question marks. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's Yeah, you bet. That's it's, cool. That's something to dream about. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Well, for cool. sure. It was awesome. It was a few years coming you know, yeah. for us and it was a it was just seeing that many bears just itself totally. was, yeah. was a wild yeah. wild experience. Totally. So. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, Ross, thank you so much for joining us for this episode and helping us out a little bit and us Midwesterners trying to figure this stuff out, it, it helps to hear from people who have more experience and it's been a privilege having you join us tonight. And we're definitely going to have to have you on again yeah, for sure. Yeah. Talking about, you know, other things and, you know, here in the future, but um, yeah, thanks. Thanks again. And any last thoughts or anything before we cut out? 
you know, the one thing I'd tell a guy if they're if they're going to go out spring bear hunting, especially if your first time going out there, is is scout a bunch of a bunch of areas out. You know, have a bunch of spots that you think are potential, and then cover a lot of ground. Okay, uh, bears are pretty habitual. They're going to be on the same spots pretty consistently. So if you're not seeing bears, try another spot. Mm, okay, you know, try a different type of spot. Um, but just get out there and enjoy yourself is probably the most important thing. And and as long as you're enjoying the process, you know, when that bear comes along, you'll just icing on the cake. So yeah, right. totally. Well, that's and that's a super good point, uh, you know. And and to end on is just really a good technique like that. Because that's some of the stuff, and it's nice because some of the stuff you only learn by being out there, but it's so good to go out there as equipped as you can with your toolbox. So thanks again, sir, and thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. The Contact Outdoors crew would like to send out a sincere thank you to all of our listeners. The Backcountry Dreaming Podcast is brought to you by Contact Outdoors and directed by Brian Hallberg original music, and audio production by Nakoda Rankin. Connect with us online. Links to our website, Instagram, and Facebook can be found in the show notes.